Well, if you're wondering where the chief is, <laughs> where is that chief? I'm sure he's watching. Hi, baby. <laughs> um, he is in Florida with Larry Hutton and some other pastors, and so he had a chance to go to Florida and um, hunt alligator. No, not really. <laughs> so he could make me some alligator boots, but um, no, just kidding. <laughs> But he's there. He will be back Friday. He will be here on Sunday. So um, he is just having a good time fellowshipping with the other pastors. Amen. So we miss him. We miss you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm going to break order. I know it's tradition to take the offering at the end. But I'm going to take offering now because I don't want to forget and I don't want to get interrupted at the end. So, um, ushers, if you would go ahead and come forward. At this time, we're going to go ahead and take the offering. And... Um, if you have a thing, you know how to do that thing over there. I don't really know how to describe it, but there it is. Your online giving. I should have had you come up here and tell that, Ellen. You're doing great. <laughs> Your online giving, or we still have the old-fashioned check. And so um, I didn't put it in envelope, so oops. But um, anyway, and so it's so nice to have you all here tonight on a Wednesday night. And... Um, you guys can go ahead and collect the offering, and then I believe I will pray for it now. Now I'm going to pray for it, yes, because it's in my hand. It's the seed. If you have your seed, hold it up. Let's pray for it. Father, we just honor you, and we thank you, God. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being our provider and our heavenly Father who takes care of us, and you meet and supply every need that we have, God. And we thank you that we have the honor tonight and the privilege to sow into your kingdom. We ask that you would bless the seed that is sown in faith tonight, God, that you'd cause it to just be multiplied back, God, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, cause it just to be poured back as a blessing and meeting in every need that they have, Father. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. And now I'm going to sow that seed. <laughs> Thank you. All righty. Well, get your Bibles ready or get ready to write down things. I've got about 52 uh, scriptures to read to you. Not quite that many. I, I'm kidding, but, um, but it's close. It's pretty close. It's about, no, it's a little over 10. I know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell fibbers. <laughs> um, I, so on Sunday, if you were in the, in the Sunday school class, we talked about um, the Trinity and um, the Trinity is, is a doctrine of our church, Harvest Bible Church. We believe in the Trinity. And um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And um, God is in one essence, but he has revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the class, you know, I did go into detail about, about that. Tonight, though, I want to talk to you about Jesus in, um, in him having two natures, that he's fully God and he was fully man, and why that's important. Why is it important that we understand the Trinity? Because, um, uh, and, and we're going to look at that tonight. So um, let me just give you a couple, or several false ideas of who um, there is, you know, um, heresy teachings out there of who they believe Jesus is. And one of them goes back to the ancient New Testament time, and it was called Gnosticism. And it's actually dressed in the, even in the Bible. 
Gnosticism was a, a belief that Jesus was not real. He was, he was not a real flesh and blood man, but he merely appeared as, as one. So he wasn't really flesh and blood, but he merely appeared. And we're going to see why it's very important that Jesus had to be a full man with flesh and blood, okay? So that was Gnosticism. Um, another one, another heresy teaching is that he's the first created being. And um, this would make Jesus not an eternal being, but that he was a created being. And we talked about on Sunday that Jesus has all the attributes of God. He's eternal. He's love. You know, he, um, he, he has no beginning. He has no end. And we went through a lot of scriptures. This is a teaching that you'll lot of, you will find. And this, and this is why this is beneficial to you, because you ever get the knock on the door? <laughs> and um, this is the Watchtower Jehovah's Witness. They, they lean towards this, that Jesus is a first created being. Um, he, uh, that they claim that he had a begin, beginning. They use the scripture, Colossians 1.15, that the firstborn of creation, Revelation 3.14, the beginning of creation. So they're saying he must have had an origin in time. Um, this simply, the word beginning, I talked about this, uh, means arche. It's the Greek word arche. In this text, it's referencing to Christ as the first, the first cause of creation. He's the first cause of creation. So it means he's not, he's not the firstborn, but he's the one who originated. He's the source of all creation. And so um, it simply means, uh, and also firstborn, is used frequently to, to uh, give um, the sense of a rank, showing that he's the one who produced all things. And I talked about how we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. When Jesus was raised up, he was glorified. You too and I will be, um, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But when we begin our glorified bodies, then we are part of that new creation in Christ Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead in that sense. Um, another one, I just want to get these through these really quickly because I don't want to talk about the junk. I just want to get to the good stuff. Um, another, another teaching about Jehovah's Witness is that they believe Jesus was an angel and um, that he was actually Michael the, Ar the archangel. And, um, but yet you will see Jesus receives worship, and the Bible says that no angel receives worship, and so yet Jesus received worship. And so Jesus was not an angel. He was not Michael the archangel. Um, there is other uh, Pentecostal churches that uh, teach that he's the same as the Father, um, that he was one God manifested in, in three manifestations, not three persons, but manifestations. So while he was in heaven, he was the Father. When he, he was on the earth, he was the Son. And then he went back to heaven, and then he came down as the Holy Spirit. It's manifestations. But we believe in one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's extremely important we understand that. Um, you know, modernists today, a lot of them teach that Jesus was just a good man, right? You've heard that. He was a good man. He was different than an ordinary man, but he was still just a good man. But he's, um, you know, he was just a man. Um, um, Islam and the Baha'i of faith, they believe that Jesus was um, a very important prophet, but he was a, a person in a long line of prophets and Muhammad being the last prophet in Islam and Jesus was simply one of those prophets. Jesus was not uh, crucified. They don't believe Jesus was crucified, but a substitutionary person went in there. And so there's no atonement through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of ideas out there of what uh, people think that Jesus is. And Jesus, as I read in, Roman, or in Romans chapter one, God is very 
forthright what we think about him. He wants us to know the truth about who he is, and he's given us his word. You know, we have been given the word of God that God very clearly defines who he is from Genesis to Revelation. And, um, and so the, the reason why we want to talk about the two natures of Christ is God had, Jesus had to be fully God and he had to be fully man or you and I would never be saved. We would never have the, the gift of eternal salvation if it wasn't for the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. He's the only part of the Godhead that has a human form, a human body. And um, so for Jesus to be uh, the perfect spotless lamb of God, able to fulfill the law perfectly, only God could do this. And we see that in the Bible that, um, that the law was given to bring sin out in us that no man could live by the law. No man could abide by the law. When, you know, when we try to live right, we try to do right. You know, Paul says, I try to do what's right, but there's something else in me making me do the bad things I don't want to do. And the law just amplified that. And so the law showed that there is none good. What does it say? No, not one. So you and I fall into that category. None of us are able to keep the law. All these great men that came through the, you know, through the Bible times, not one of them was able to keep the law. Only God himself would be able to fulfill the requirements of the law. And, um, and that was why Jesus had to be God. He had to be the perfect lamb of God. And we'll look at that more in a minute. But he also had to be fully human, right? In order to stand in the place of Adam's race, in order to be the one that would take the punishment for you and I, um, that, you know, because Adam sinned, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so Jesus had to be the one, he had to be a full man, he had to be a human in order to represent you and I as taking the, the wrath of God and um, taking the judgment that was due our place and um, he had to fully represent us. And if he wasn't a, a man, then you and I are still in our sin. But hallelujah, Jesus paid that price for us. So we're gonna look at that. Um, we're gonna go through the Bible because you know I don't want you to take my word for it. We're gonna let the word of God speak for itself tonight, amen? And so turn with me to Matthew chapter one, and I'm gonna speak really fast because um, I do wanna get through as many scriptures as these as I can. Um, in Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to be reading in verse 18. Um, this is going to be talking, we're going to look at right now, about the humanity of Christ, the human side uh, nature of him. All right, it says in verse 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant. Notice it says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And let me just stop and bring some clarification in this. Mary is the mother of Jesus, but who's his father? God, yeah, God, God the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the one that enabled, that brought, brought Jesus in, and so that Mary would conceive. This is important because as we understand um, 
the, the nature of how the human body works that the, that the child gets the, the blood from the father. And in this, we know Jesus was the spotless lamb of God. So therefore his, his blood that ran through his veins was without sin. He had no sin. That's why he's the spotless lamb of God. His, heavenly, his father was his father. All right. So, um, so going back to verse 29, he sh- he, she shall have a son and he shall name him Jesus. Now, again, in the very name that the angel's giving to them, Jesus means the Lord saves, okay? The Lord saves, because remember I said it had to be, only God is the one that could, could do this miracle. And that's why his name was Jesus, the Lord saves. Um, For he shall save his people from their sins. And this all occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, look, The virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him, what will they call him? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. So right there in, in the very name, his name is Emmanuel. It's telling us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God came in flesh. John chapter one, it says that, you know, he came and he tabernacled among, among us. He put on that, that, that flesh, that temple of flesh to be like you and I. Okay, so let's keep building on this. Learn, uh, go over to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, uh, verse uh, 41 Again, we're looking at Jesus as the, the human side of him. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but, Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think and said, son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you search for me, he asked. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. Now, I, I want to bring this out because I want you to know one of the attributes of God is he is wisdom, right? He has all wisdom. He's omniscient. He has all wisdom. And yet here we see Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. This is the humanity part, the human part, the nature of Christ had to grow. He had to grow up. He had to be obedient and subject to human parents. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, he knew who he was. I mean, he's asking questions and yet he had to, had to humble himself. He had to grow in wisdom. He had to grow in, in physical stature in favor with God and man. So, um, as, we're, as we continue to lay this line upon line, I want you to see Jesus had a supernatural birth, but yet he was still born a human. His name means the Lord saves. Jesus means the Lord saves. Emmanuel, God with us. He obeyed earthly parents. He grew in wisdom and stature, okay? Now, uh, turn over to Luke chapter four. Let's look at some more of his humanity here just to show, to prove to you this man that Jesus was a human, 
Um, verse four, chapter, chapter four, verse one, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. So right off, let's just stop and say, Jesus had to be human. He had to be tempted like you and I, the Bible says in Hebrews. He, you know, we have a high priest that understands the temptations that we go through. He understands because here he was tempted. But it says, of course we know, but without sin. Um, the next thing it says is Jesus ate nothing all that time and he became very hungry. The humanity part of side of Jesus ate. He ate fish, we know that. He, you know, he was hungry. And, um, and so we, we, it proceeds to go on through this whole story. We see um, Jesus goes through the temptation, but I just, wanna, I just wanna bring these out. There's just so many examples. You know, you can, as you do your own Bible study, you can see, go through this. You can, you can see a lot of this stuff. I'm just trying to give you a note to touch on, on, on some of these points. But look at John chapter four, John chapter four, um, verse six. This is, um, this is a story where he goes to Samaria, through Samaria, to, to the Samaritan woman. And um, in verse four says, it must need that he go through Samaria. He got to the Samaritan village and um, near the field where Jacob gave his son, verse six. Now Jacob's well was there and Jesus was tired from the long walk. You can only be tired if you got a human body. <laughs> And it says he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. So God understands that we get weary, right? He wasn't like Superman who just walked like Pastor Mark, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he seems to walk with all his energy. No, um, he, you know, Jesus, he got tired. Just like you and I, we get tired, we get weary, you know? And, um, and he was, here he was at the well and he says to the Samaritan woman, please give me a drink. He was thirsty. So he needed food, he, need, he needed water, he needed to rest. All right, in Mark chapter four, move over there. Mark chapter four, verse 38. Mark chapter four, verse 38 is the story about, um, Mark chapter four, verse 38. You know, I was gonna double check my notes to make sure I had the right story. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I was right. Okay, uh, Jesus, Jesus is sleeping, right? In verse 30, start at verse 35. And as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So Jesus, they, so they took Jesus in the boat he, and they started out leaving the crowds behind. Verse 37, and as soon as the fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat. And it began to fill with high water. And what's Jesus doing? Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. <laughs> and so there he was. I don't know if he was snoring, but he was certainly sound asleep in that wave, not in that storm, not worried a bit. So, um, okay, now go to John chapter 19. We want to, again, I want, you know, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, I'm actually giving you several of these, you know, to show you the humanity of Christ. In John chapter 19, Starting in verse one, it says that Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put a purple robe on him and said, hail, king of the Jews. They mocked and they, and they slapped him across the face. Um, going on, we find that they uh, take Jesus in verse, uh, in verse uh, 16, then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place that is called 
Golgotha, the place of the skull, and they nailed him to the cross. And two of, the, two of them were crucified on the other side and Jesus in the middle. And um, when we, we flip over the page, we find um, that, and let's go, go down to verse 28. Jesus knew his mission was now finished. And so to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there and they soaked a sponge in it and put a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he released, notice it says, he released his spirit. Jesus said in, you know, that I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up. Jesus, death did not, they did not kill Jesus. Jesus allowed death to take him. He released his spirit. And I love this. I've heard this before that the, the, those three words that says it is finished also means paid in full. It was paid in full. And so, um, and so they take his body and they take, you know, and um, well, let me, let's read on. And so it was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies to hang for the next day because it was the Sabbath. And so they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs would be broken and their bodies could be taken down. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men who were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already what? He was deader than a doornail. He already died, so they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced him in the side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. And so, um, you, you know, one of the things that when we, when we get into the, when we talk about the reality of the resurrection of Christ is, you know, one of the realities that we know Jesus died is that Roman soldiers were trained to crucify people. They were trained to kill people. And so when you have, um, you know, these Roman soldiers, you know, saying that he is dead, then you know he was authentically dead. He, he wasn't, you know, still alive when they put him in the tomb. He was very dead. And, um, and then he was buried inside this tomb. All right, three days later, he comes back to life. He, he rises up again. And um, in, in Galatians chapter four, I, I wanna read this to you too. Um, Galatians chapter four. I love this one. Uh, verse four, oopsie, on this page. Um, verse four says, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman. He was subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are a child, his child, God made you in his image. Right there, it's very clear. We, again, we see the Trinity. God sent his son, Jesus. And it says that the spirit, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that is the, because of the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit that comes in, he brings the, causes us to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And um, that's how we are born again, we find in John chapter three. And so, and I love this because you got to understand too, going back to the Trinity, that the Trinity is very active in salvation. God sent his son and Jesus came born of a woman and, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, part, you know, participating and help, you know, bringing Christ and, and, and so that Mary, you know, was conceived, the, conceived him and, um, you know, and then redemption, we see, you know, that 
they're all there, you know, in, in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. And so when we talk about that, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the, this is the message that rings from Genesis to Revelation that God loved you so much, he wasn't gonna leave us. What happened in Genesis chapter three, which was cast out of, his, out, of the, out of the garden, cast out of his presence, rejected because of sin. Ever since then, God was pursuing you and I, and God himself had to come. Man could not do it, and therefore he sent his very own son, the very third per, second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, all right? Um, okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter two. I want to read one more two talking about Hebrews. Now Hebrews, you could go home and read Hebrews and just see this all in here. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. Hebrews is one of a powerful, powerful book about Jesus Christ. And um, in Hebrews chapter two, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Again, uh, this is just clarifying how Jesus had to become a human. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For as a human being could, could, excuse me, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of, of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set us free from all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So again, Jesus had to be a human because, you know, the minute he took his last breath, the Bible says, you know, I believe he went right into those, that gates of, you know, through the, through the gates of death, he went right into hell. And, you know, and it says he preached to those that were there in, in Hades and, um, and there he conquered the enemy. There he took, he stripped the enemy of the rights over death, hell, and the grave. And what a surprise and a shock that Satan is thinking, you know, that I, I've done it, I've taken it, I've killed the son of God. And as soon as Jesus took his last breath and went into hell, he simply stripped him of his power, amen? And he defeated the enemy. And it was only through a human that he could go in to get into the gates of hell to take the power of death um, from the enemy. In verse 16, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. And therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. And then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people since he himself has gone through suffering and testing he is able to help us when we are being tested. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing God could ever have done is to allow himself to, be, to take on flesh, that he would understand the things that you and I go through. He understands temptation. He understands pain. He understands betrayal. He understands what it is to lose somebody. He understands what it, you know, what it feels to be betrayed. And because of these experiences, he, he becomes a great high priest that is able to represent us before the heavenly father. And in turn, he's able to help us us and strengthen us that we can do it in his strength and in his grace. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at now his divine nature. Um, so in, in Hebrews chapter, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter nine. Um, well, first of all, let, let me just read these, read these to you. I'm not going to read them. I'm not going to go there for sake of time. But if you want to write these down, I'm going to go through these very quickly. I want you to know that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. It was he, he came in human flesh, but he did claim to be Jesus, the Son of God. John chapter 4, 4 
uh, verses 25 through 26, again, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and she's talking about that someday the Messiah is going to come and Jesus makes this claim. He says, I am that Messiah. I am the eternal one. And so Jesus very pointly tells her, I am the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one. He's the, the, the redeemer of mankind. And he actually uses that attribute we called the I am, the eternal one. So here Jesus is claiming to be God. John chapter five, verse 18. It says that the Jewish leaders wanted to find a way to kill Jesus because he called God his father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus claimed to be equal with God. That's why they wanted to kill him. <laughs> um, again, in John chapter 10, verse 31 through 33, they wanted to kill Jesus again. Why? Because they said, you, a mere man, claim to be God. All right, John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas, when Jesus is resurrected and uh, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch the, the holes in his hands and, the, and in his side. And then Jesus appears and he says, you know, Thomas, touch me. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus does not reprimand him. He, he's receiving the praise that he is the Lord and God. Matthew chapter 16 um, and it talks about, Jesus says, uh, remember he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? They said, well, some say that you're a prophet, some that you're Elijah. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? And Peter rises up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so right there, he says, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Again, claiming to be Christ uh, uh, the son of God or God himself. In Matthew chapter 17 is a great story um, that happened and it's uh, the story of the transfiguration. And we find that Jesus takes, um, he takes John and he takes Peter and James and they go up into a mountain and it says that, you know, the, the disciples fall asleep and all of a sudden they, they wake up and they see uh, Jesus and he's talking to Elijah and Moses and it says that, it, that he was transfigured, he was changed and his face was like the sun and, his, and he was beaming white light. And it says that there was a voice from, and, and of course, Peter doesn't, I guess he doesn't know what to say. And he said, hey, let me make a tabernacle for one for you and one for Elijah and one for, um, let, me, let me turn there real quick, Matthew chapter 17. I wanna make sure I'm saying this correctly. I don't wanna be, uh, misquoting it, Matthew chapter 17. Um, he says, let me make one uh, and a tabernacle for you, for Moses and Elijah and you. And I love this because it says in verse five that, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud came over and sh overshadowed them and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And then the disciples were terrified and they fell down with their faces to the ground. Now, I love this because Elijah represents the prophets. And of course, Moses is a prophet too, but he represents the law. And, and I love what God is saying to, to the disciples is that, you know, you have the law and you have the prophets and they've been speaking to you, but now I'm gonna speak to you through my son. And this is what he's saying. He says, listen to him. And he was very, God was very pointedly bringing out um, the glory of who Jesus Christ was. And of course, he was radiating in the glory of who he was. All right, I know I'm going fast. <laughs> Hebrews chapter one just clarifies that again long ago. 
Uh, God spoke many times and, and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets, but now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Amen. So God reveals himself to his son. All right. Um, I had you go, if you're still there, at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Let me just go over there now. Now, again, like I said, the reason why it was so important for, for Jesus to be fully human is he had to be the perfect sacrifice, right? He had to be the, the lamb that was spotless. And there is no one on earth that was spotless except God. And so um, that's why God himself had to step into humanity. He had to step into time and to take um, on human flesh to be our representative. And um, in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 11... Um, okay, it says, so, so Christ now has become the high priest over all the good things that have come. And he has entered that great and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world, but with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered into the most holy place once and for all time to secure our redemption forever. This is why it was so important. He had to be a human because as we look in the Old Testament, it's only by blood, only blood affected a covenant. And in the Old Testament, the blood of a lamb affected the covenant that God made in the Old Testament, the old covenant. And it's only through blood, the shedding of blood that affected a new covenant. And this is the, the shedding of the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ. He had to have blood. And here with his very own blood as a human, he takes his blood and he enters into the most holy place. And if you've never done a study on the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle, God told Moses very specifically, you make the tabernacle on the earth according to the pattern that I showed you because it's an absolute replica of what it is in heaven that Jesus had to enter into the holy place and he had to go before the mercy seat of God and there he offered his blood on the mercy seat for you and I, and it says that it, it, it secured our redemption forever and ever, amen? It says under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think, just think how much more the blood of Jesus Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship now the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, there's the Trinity, the spirit's part of it. By the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God the Father as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. It, all three were operating there. And that is why he is the one who now mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Amen. All right, um, am I stopping on that one? Oh, I guess I'm keep reading um, verse 16. Now, when someone leaves a will, it's necessary to prove that that person who made it is dead. And the will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, they cannot 
put it into effect. And that is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of the law and all the people using hyssop and branches and scarlet wool. And then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood of the tabernacle. And again, this goes, is just going down to talk about in verse, uh, verse 23, that these are copies, but the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animal. And so Christ himself entered into the Holy of Holies, offering his blood. Again, this is why it's important we understand he was God um, in nature uh, and also a human, had a human nature. All right, um, look at Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, uh, verse six. Now, um, it says that though he was God, talking about Jesus, though he was God, does it say he was God? Does it say he was God? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Though he was God. I want you to keep that in your mind. You got to understand he was fully God, fully man. It says he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. But instead he gave up his divine privileges or the King James says he emptied himself of his privileges, his divinity. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being when he appeared in human form and he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death upon the cross. And I love this. And therefore God has now elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Um, all right, one more Colossians chapter one. Uh, Look at that, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. And we read this one even in class. These are powerful scriptures. Let's see, I'm starting in verse, actually verse 15. It said, uh, no, no, I guess 11. Okay, we, we also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power so that you will have all endurance and patience you need. And may you be filled with joy Always thanking the Father, for he has enabled you. Now listen, here's, here's the benefits. Okay, I, this is what I want to get to this point. I want to show you really fast, because I'm out of time at this moment, the privileges that you got because of Jesus. He has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's purchased our freedom and he's forgiven our sins. Um, I'm going to have to just, I'll just, just shoot these out as bullet form to you, okay? We share, because of Jesus, we share an inheritance. We've been rescued, we've been transferred, we've been purchased by our freedom. He's made peace for us with God. We have peace with God now. He's been reconciled us to God. 
He has brought us now into the very presence of God, blameless. Now we are without spot. We are now holy. And, um, and the Bible, sa- Bible says that we've been made in the righteousness of Christ. Remember, if you go back to Genesis, we were ca- you know, Adam was cast out, he was rejected. But because of Christ, because what he has done, the God-man brought us and reconciled, stood in our place, and he's given us access to the Father that now we can come boldly before the throne of God without shame, without fear, boldly seeking his face, coming and worshiping him with, you know, in, in all the glory of who he is. Amen. He's canceled the charges against you and I. Hallelujah. There were charges against you and I, and he canceled them. We're clothed in his righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, if I, if you just give me just two more minutes, if even that, I just want to say really quickly in, in the redemption from Genesis to Revelation, he's the seed that was promised to Eve. He's the offspring that would come and crush the head of Satan. He's the lamb of God. When Isaac said to his father in Genesis 22, remember he's getting ready to go sacrifice Isaac. And he said, father, you know, here's the fire, here's the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham declared, God himself will provide the lamb. That was the redemption, the redemptive work coming all the way through the Old Testament. He's the ram that was caught in the thicket. He's the substitution. In the story of Moses and the, and the children of Israel, Jesus is the Passover lamb, the lamb, the blood that was slain and put upon the doorpost that when the children of Israel were behind the door, they were safe, they were protected from death. He's in Isaiah 53, he's the suffering servant that by his stripes, we are made whole. He's the Messiah. He's the son of man in the book of Daniel chapter seven. He's the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation. He's the bread from heaven as we saw when when Moses and the children of Israel were going through. He's the absolute expression of the father revealing his love to us, amen? And you know, and that's that's just scraping the surface of him tonight. Hallelujah, we serve an incredible God. There is no other religion out there that even comes close. Every religion has to work their way up to God, but here God came down to us, amen. Oh, Father, we just thank you. Thank you that God, you loved us so much. You loved us so much that you came out of eternity and you stepped into time that uh, while we were yet sinners, you sent your son and he died for us. You redeemed us, you restored us, and you brought us back to yourself. We are now made righteous in you. Because of Jesus, we stand in his righteousness. We stand without shame. We stand without fear. You long for us to come before you. And Father, I pray that tonight that you would just move and stir our hearts to see this amazing, powerful, redemptive plan that you did, you purposed from the very beginning when man failed. God, you began the redemption right there as the promised seed. God, thank you for loving us, for pursuing us, for coming after us so mightily, God. And may we too, God, seek your face as you have asked us to do. We love you, we honor you, and everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, let's all shout, let's shout, let's shout, let's shout, let's shout. (laughs) Amen. Well, you are dismissed. We will see you. Um, on Sunday morning um, at at class time at 9 and then 10 to 30 in the service.